What's up, Paul? It's Joe. Hey there, Joe. How are you, bud? I'm good. I'm good. We're, uh, you know, rolling with the punches. Man, every time I turn on the news, stuff in New York, it just gets worse by the day. I tried to stop watching the news. I watch it once a day just because otherwise I think you'll... I think what's really needed in New York right now is a lot of uh, antidepressants. Yeah. What's been going on in your business, given the fact that you guys are NYC commercial? As of yesterday, we were probably down, like, people postponing. Very similar to the article you wrote. No one's actually canceling. They're just saying, hey, we're not coming back until May. Yesterday was the first day people told us that they're not coming back till June. They already know that. So we're down... We're figuring 14% a month and hoping that it breaks by June and by the end of the year, we'll still be able to grow by 10%. That's the current game plan. Yep. It's not, I mean, it's nuts. It's nuts because people are scaring the crap out of each other and you know, you have to maintain positive, in my opinion, you have to stay positive. Um, we serve as some of the largest hospitals in New York City, which is also tough with the troops. Um, thankfully, we had PPE, and the hospitals have provided PPE for anybody that works there, but yep. it's just scary times, you know? Yeah. I mean, I actually sit on a board of a private pest control business that's located out in the Midwest, and they serviced some hospitals, and last week, the hospitals called up and said, hey, listen, um, we can't have anyone in here besides patients and doctors. So, you know, we love you guys. We're not canon yet. But right now, under the current, you know, state edicts, we can't even have you guys in here. Have you guys experienced any of that in New York? Two weeks ago, at the very beginning, at the onset, where nobody knew what to do, mm -hmm. the nursing homes were more nursing homes than healthcare. Healthcare, healthcare is, they, they agree that we're essential. You know, some of the hospitals that we do have set up those exterior tents and you know i just gave him a heads up like listen i'm not trying to make any more money but we might you have garbage in there you, you know it's in the middle of central park we, we might want to do something there pest related yeah. so people on vents are going to be good but our rats going to be jumping over them <laughs> you know uh which is a high probability because there's no barrier from them getting inside the tent we already know Central Park has a rat issue. So anybody that wanted us out, we said, you know, if that's really what you want, no problem. But we recommend either <clears throat> scaling back service or, but getting rid of us indefinitely, you're going to have a bigger battle down the road, right? Like two months from now, people are going to go back into office space. And what are they going to see? Flies, definitely. And who the hell knows what else? If they're turning the AC off in, in its status quo, and then other people are just like, yeah, we'll deal with that when that comes. And I was talking about it the other day, and that's something that we're, you know, it's gonna be a slippery slope. When, it, when we all come out of this, some of our customers are gonna want a lot of things that they don't think they should have to pay for, and it's gonna be labor intensive. And I was talking to a lot of people in the industry. I don't think that we're gonna lose a lot of revenue. I just think there's gonna be I'm calling it like a redistribution of clients. So my clients that don't like me because I'm saying, hey, look, we haven't been in here in two months. We need to do a startup. Are going to tell me piss off and hire XYZ. And XYZ is going to do the same thing and I'm going to get their customers. So 
I don't know. It's interesting to say the least. Yeah, I'll say. How about uh, how about any of your team members? Anyone uh, come down with coronavirus? Nobody has tested positive for it yet. Um, some people have concerns. You know what the problem is? Not the problem, but it's allergy season. Like allergy season yeah. is starting, so you know we've had a couple of people take it. You know, take a day, take two days um, with the. The 14% drop, we told somebody today that said they were good. They think it was just their allergies. We told them, stay home another day. Don't worry about it. Because we don't really have... We have half days for everybody on average, let's say. I shouldn't say that. We have about 30 hours a week on average for guys. The good news is is that we were up... Hold on, I just wrote this down. We were up like... 28% as of the end of March so that was good to see as long as I get paid on it (laughs) yeah that's the big question there's just so many things going on right if somebody thinks they have coronavirus they are supposed to stay home for 14 days and as a small business I'm supposed to pay them for 14 days and being that I'm under we're right at the cusp we're under 25 employees I can choose to pay them two-thirds of their salary for or their normal wages for the 14 days. But how is that a sustainable model if my whole team thinks they have it? So now I have 21 people out, all getting paid, even if it's two-thirds, and I have to replace them all? So I'm doubling my cost and getting less production because nobody can go out and hire their full staff and get good product you know it's just it doesn't seem realistic any of this even the 2.2 trillion isn't realistic i was talking to someone yesterday where we're guesstimating it's between seven and ten trillion with once this is all said and done what do you think about that joe i look around and i say you know we've got the the main issue that everyone is dealing with on a day-to-day basis is the actual proliferation of the virus right how do you keep people safe how do you stay safe keep family safe how do you navigate um what goes on out in the market from a day-to-day basis and then you know at, at, at some point we come out of this and obviously none of us are um virologists if that's even the right word but you know i mean is this the end of april is it the end of may is it the end of june who the hell knows at this point and then the other question is you know, do we catch a second wave in the fall, right? So there's a lot of talk of that. I mean, the thing that I think about is, you know, what are the, the economic knock-on effects to this? When I think about a city like New York, for example, you've got a lot of these restaurants there that are barely scraping by as it is, and now they're just going to be knocked out of business, right? You know these guys are running super thin margins there, and I, I just don't know. I'm hearing stories about, you know, owners just walking away, right? There's big lease obligations and, you know, we'll never make this work. Let's shut it down. You know, things that I was looking at is transaction multiples that are really ratcheted up very, very quickly. We started to see decreases in manufacturing. So we were coming towards the end of the the economic cycle, right? This bull market, everything was real long in the tooth. Um, But we also... You know, given all the pump priming by the central banks, now we're in this situation where, you know, what goes on down the pike? What are the knock-on effects as companies continue to go out of business, as people are and companies are defaulting on, you know, all this credit that they've taken out? 
and you know now of course we've got governments stumping in printing money i mean it, it really you know i don't know I, I mean really to answer you asked me a very short question and you know i i think of things in terms of both kind of global macro picture which is very very bad now i mean italy's effectively for all intents and purposes in a depression right to the first time since the great depression now they have as of this morning it was official they've moved into depression territory the long-term consequences of this one are, are going to be really rough and i think you know what you just said about two trillion i mean there's no way it's going to stop at two trillion no way i mean i, I you know they we're talking about the quarantine through the end of april there's no way it's the end of april that'll get pushed out um when people are having a hard time getting money for food uh, either the pitchforks come out or the government's going to you know, double down on fiscal and monetary stimulus, so. I was speaking to Carmen Reno from Anchor, and um, yep. we were just going over, you know, you calling it at the end of 18, and us really thinking that it was about to um, come back to normal, closer to one, you know, max two times annual revenue. Um, but now, I mean, it's, it, it's just interesting because money is, when we thought it couldn't happen, money is cheaper than it has been again, right? Um, even before COVID-19, the prime dropped like in the beginning of March again. So it's just one of those things like, is this going to, I know you said there was 200 million in your March 17th uh, blog, 200 million in deals on hold, but is this going to drive the deals and is it going to keep the multiples above two or do you think it's, or I don't even know, like, it's a hundred part question I'm asking. Yeah, it's a hundred part question. Let me, I'm going to try to uh, kind of see if I can attack it systematically. You know, as we went into 2020, um, you know, when I wrote about service master shit in the bed in January, you know, that I, I actually, that piece on service master, I bit my tongue all fall because I was frustrated and angry with some of the morons in Memphis and I didn't want to yeah I just wanted to cool off before I said what I had to say so um, you probably read that piece where I talked about me I think it was titled the beginning at the end so we had service master was blowing all sorts of coin last year Um, they ran into some problems then we go into the beginning of the year and since I published that piece in March now that number shot up now to over 300 million on hold and so there's a lot of deals in queue I think people really started um, last year people really started to think okay maybe Paul's right Um, we had a a massive amount of clients go to market at the end of last year everyone was kind of crossing their fingers you know the way I looked at this and I always looked at this is you know these equity markets had been pushed up so high that the implied returns um, looking 10 years forward were negative. So what the hell does that mean? That means if I buy the S, you know, in February 19th, if I bought the S&P 500 index, based on historical valuations, my 10-year return horizon would have been negative by owning the S&P, which is that high, right? So if a value of an asset's that high, the implied go-forward returns are going to be low. So we now get into March and everyone starts to realize, okay, this COVID thing is for real. Um, Acquirers began 
in early March saying things like, hey, this is getting worse. What we might need to do is, you know, for April closings, we're not going to be able to do them or it'll be hard to do them because, you know, we shouldn't have meetings or saying we shouldn't have meetings of 50 people or more. So we can't do this or we should start to think about rescheduling these. So as we went through March, even for the April um, first closings, um, the first two weeks of March, everyone was thinking more about the contagiousness of the virus as we started to get towards the middle of March. That's when acquirers started to sit back and say, man, we need to be in cash conservation mode. We need to think about our ability to tap capital markets. So um, you get into the third and third, fourth week of March. And now, you know, you have run came out, made a trading update announcement on last Wednesday, the 25th, and basically said, we're freezing hiring, we're cutting pay, we're getting rid of bonuses you know, across the board uh, globally. Um, we are probably going to, you know, they didn't say it in the report, but, you know, they started to lay some folks off. So 20%. Um, yeah. That happened, I want to say, Wednesday? That they, across the board, 20% of their... Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that's exactly right, because they came out late Tuesday night, uh, U.S. time, filed their regulatory report, and then those guys all had the Wednesday morning call. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right, Joe. So they started getting rid of folks. And um, you know, I've had a lot of conversations in the last week about that. And I'll be putting out a note um, to our client. We, we've had a lot of conversations with our client. I'll be putting out an internal note today that I might just publish for everyone to see um, because I think it's helpful to a certain degree to, to everyone out there in the industry. But, I mean, some of the advice that I'm giving people is – Think about taking. I think about potentially taking Renekill's lead. I mean, Andy Ransom is a the, the CEO is a super sharp guy. I mean, he's lived through the China disaster. Now it's going on in Europe, and he's looking at what's happened towards the U.S. And what you were talking about a few minutes ago, which one of your guys gets it. You know, people start staying home. It almost. I think makes sense for a lot of people to really think about laying folks off because first off they get state unemployment now the feds added additional money on top of that it might make sense to do that sit down and have conversations with some of your employees and say hey you stay home for a month or two your job is super secure um, as long as the company is alive and doing well you're absolutely coming back but try to get out in front of it so you're not chasing payroll all year just because i still think joe I think there's still so much uncertainty as to how how long this is going to last. And I, the entire Western world clearly was blindsided, although we've all should have seen it coming, right? Um, I think so we're learning new things on a day-to-day basis. And I, I'm interested in your thoughts on that. I mean, what do you think about what Renekill did and, and how you might do it in a different way and whether you would consider doing it? And uh, I, I do think we were blindsided only because we're American assholes, and we just don't think we're affected by what affects everyone else. Um, certainly New Yorkers, even though we still are scared and have conspiracy theories and everything like that. I just think we were naive and thought it wasn't going to happen to us. Um, in regards to what Rank to Kill did, I actually, on social media yesterday, offered to sit down with them and buy their North American portfolio because of how they're treating their workers. Just... So you, you know, if you want to put that deal together, let me know. Um, I'll, uh, 
I'll, I'll keep that in mind, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I mean, I think that their public message and what they're really doing don't jive. And I know many people who work for them. Uh, there was a YouTube video put out by the, the CEO of Rent to Kill North America. And everything that he said in that about how they're handling it is not what's going on on the ground. So that, that I mean, and, and there's, there's three stories there. There's what I'm hearing, there's what he's putting out, and then there's the truth, and I understand that. Um, yep. They are, they're, they're firing people, and they're giving severances pa- severance packages, and they're paying vacation, and they're doing it right as opposed to a layoff. The only thing I don't like the way they're doing it is they're not telling anyone their jobs are secure. They are telling everybody, the, f- the five to ten people that I spoke to all said the same thing that work on different levels. They worked in distribution, they worked in um, management, and they worked um, as technicians and supervisors. And they all said that they were told, uh, HR will call you in a week and set all this up. And when they all asked, are our jobs here when this is over? They were told, if your job exists, you can go through the hiring process again. And you're talking about people seven years in, eight years in, two years in, and 15 years in that got laid off. Um, and there's no guarantee of getting their job back. Like they were told, you literally, you can reapply for a position with us if we start hiring again. So I, I mean, that doesn't sound like they're actually laid off then, right? I mean, no, it's termination. Off, you don't have to go, yeah, you don't have to go through the hiring again. That means you were terminated. Right, so that I think that's the confusion, and being that these were all management level conversations and not HR conversations. You know, HR speaks very differently than uh, a regional or a district or a, a manager, right? right? They, they're they're yeah. telling you as quickly as possible because you're just a number on a list, and then HR is doing it all the right way. So, what we're trying to do, first of all, the stimulus. We're, we're signing up for the two and a half, I said 10 times payroll the other day, but it's two and a half times your monthly payroll. And allegedly 90% of it is gonna be forgiven. So we're gonna do that. I'm doing my best not to lay anybody off. We're gonna maybe go to four day work weeks. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get creative with it. But here's a funny thing, we, we have a PEO. Are you familiar with PEOs? Yep, So it's like an employee. Yeah, they do payroll, they do workers' comp, um, 401k, and they just get better rates because it's a bigger group or whatnot. But when I did payroll, we got paid today. I told them this is the last payroll for me, and I'm not taking a check anymore until this is done. And they told me I couldn't do it because of the co-employment relationship. Even though I'm the owner, I still have to take the bare minimum as a exempt like management and i was like yo but i don't need the money one which is a good prop which is a good position to be in and two my money can pay x amount employees through the time so i I just told them i said okay fine well we'll figure that out maybe i'll become a part-time employee or something but i said these are these are different times and nobody they're uncertain so I'm sure that there's a way to figure this out where the owner, the true owner, does not take a paycheck. You can lay, lay, you can lay yourself off. <laughs> right, right. Lay, lay myself off and still sign lay checks. Yourself. That'll be interesting. 
there's been, I would say, three or four webinars a day, and that's just, I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating. There's yeah. about, there's one or two a day pest-related, yeah. as far as the pest control industry, but I would say there's closer to four to six a day on how to do this. They're all relatively the same, but it's, it's just how to navigate this. And the reason I get on every single one is because like you said, it's changing by the day. So new information comes out every day. It's a lot to process. I just got the stimulus. It's a 31 page document from the bank that, that you could read probably easily. But for me, I'm almost like, what? I want to tell the banker, like, you really want me to read this? But I'm sure he's sending that out to hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, it's a bunch of government BS. It's like reading a tax return. I mean, right. it's it's really convoluted and complicated. And they've got the disaster recovery loan and the payroll protection loan. But the question is, could you do one? Do you have to do one or the other? Can you do both? What, you know, how's all this work? And then, you know, there's a lot of this, hey, you better sign up right now because, you know, we might run out of money in this program and you'll get short trips. So I think everyone pretty much knows my position and, and my distaste for government in general. But if the government's given handouts, I, I, if I were you guys, I would sign up. And I, I think in regard to Renekill and some of these bigger players, I mean, here's what I think is really going on behind the scenes. And and if in fact, and, and I don't know, I only I only know what I hear, what I read that the comp- these companies publish and the individuals that I talk to, um, so I'm not exactly sure what's going on. Like you said, there's a bunch of different stories and the truth's probably somewhere in between. But I believe that a lot of the bigger players out there are looking at this and really preparing for the worst. I think they're getting, they're laying folks off, maybe terminating them, preparing for the fact that this might go on for a year. Right, And, and, and they're also super leveraged right with all their three to one two to one buyouts you know they spent let's say they spent a few hundred million to purchase you know maybe 20 million worth of worth of business and now they're losing that on top of it so uh, it's going to be interesting to see if any of them get any type of bailout or even stimulus Uh, a year is crazy i can't imagine this for a year my only hope is is that New York being the epicenter that we will figure it out first and start to heal first, which is good because we got the brunt of it. I mean, we're up to something crazy like eight, we're over 80,000. I think we're, we in New York State are more than what China was as of today, like yeah, as far as right. the number of cases. So, um, yeah, I, I just hope, look, I think we're all hoping for the best. Joe, it is. And, you know, to your multi-part question as far as is the M&A market, I mean, I, I, I'm still trying to formulate my thesis as to what I think will happen. Right now, today, everything's on hold. And, and it's on hold because no one knows what the hell's going on, right? So we expect these deals to remain on, on hold for at least the next three months. I, I don't see a whole lot happening April, May, June. It probably won't be till July where people start pop, popping their head out to kind of try to figure out what's going on. I think that, you know, in my, I don't remember when I published it. I don't remember, I think it was in February. I can't remember. Maybe it was early March. I published a commentary where I said I expected the S&P to fall 60% peak to trough. I still think the market's not pricing in this tremendous amount of economic damage that's happening. So, even though the central banks are buying up all sorts of government treasuries and mortgage-backed securities and they're forcing rates um, 
down again. I, I don't know that. I, I don't know that. In, in my mind, um, quantitative easing and, and low rates by themselves do not drive markets. I think it's a combination of those sorts of events, but also investors, whether they're risk averse or whether they're they're um, kind of what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, either they're risk averse or they're prone to speculate. And I think everyone's risk averse now. So I think that these banks, these central banks can pump as much money and liquidity into the markets. And I just think gravity will continue to bring things down. So, I mean, I'm, I'm net short. I mean, I, when I, in the fall, I think it was December of 18, right after I published that piece, I sold all my equities and went into all cash. I went long short term treasuries. Um, I started going long vol- uh, volatility, basically through VIX options. And so I, I missed a lot of upside last year, but that was kind of my personal hedge against, you know, I, I was long volatility and I was out of equities and we were doing a lot of business at Potomac. So I was kind of hedged. And um, when this market took a shit in March, this was my best year in the markets in, I don't know, seven or eight years. Because I actually had put my hedges in place expecting a decline. Um, I, I truly believe that we're going to get another nasty leg down. Um, I, I think it's just the beginning of this. So I think what will happen in the pest control day market, if we take it down that notch, I think guys will probably start to do deals this year. I could see one or two or maybe maybe even three of these acquirers not do any deals for the remainder of the year. I could see that as a, a, a distinct possibility. Everyone at Potomac disagrees with me. So I'm the lone person over here in my shop saying this. But I think it's possible that when I say deals, I'm not talking about the $500,000 guy in, you know, Bayonne, New Jersey that, you know, Orkin buys. I'm talking about kind of material deals. I think it's possible that we don't see much of that this year. I think another scenario is even though the economy is going to be a total train wreck, these deals will happen. You know, we have a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, we're supposed to have $51 million in deals closed this past Wednesday on the 1st. So what happens? We come out of this. I think most of these acquire, I think Service Master is the only acquirer that doesn't have a track record of honoring their commitments to get deals closed, but run a kill in Oregon and, you know, anti CMAX and, you know, even some of these other guys like Givlin at Certus. And I think these guys are trying to do the right thing. I think all of them will really try to push and honor those terms as much as they can, provided that they're buying the same business after COVID than they were, that they were before. Right. So a business deteriorates by 50%. They're not paying the same price for it. But provided we get out of this and there hasn't been a tremendous amount of deterioration, then I think these guys will try to honor those terms. I think that there will be a big movement of multiples down um, from a macro perspective. I think the publicly traded comps will be trading at much lower multiples. I think there'll be a lot of pressure for those guys to pay less. I think it'll be hard for them to do that because all of these guys have to, I mean, some of these companies are booking acquisitions as organic growth. So they need to continue to buy these businesses. I think this is one of those things that if sellers are sophisticated and they kind of stick together, so to speak, um, because price is sticky, I think it'll be hard. I mean, look, no one's going to want to, no one in New York is going to want to see what big Jim McHale just got for his business. And then all of a sudden, you know, take a fraction of that 
uh, six months, seven months later. That, that that's, that's that's hard for these acquirers to do. So I think if if people refuse to accept lower multiples, I think some of these deals will get done at at higher prices. Not higher, but you know, not in the toilet play prices. I think over time those multiples really start to compress just because these deals are driven largely by life events. And I think last time you and I spoke, I, I pointed out the fact that when you look around the industry, you see the Stevenson brothers at Modern, you see Jim and his brothers at JP McHale, you see the Killingsworth guys, the Viking guys, all these guys were in their forties and fifties. That shit never happened before. Why did it happen over the last two years? It happened because financial returns were pulled into the present by financial repression, meaning everyone's business was worth way more than it should have been worth. And these guys were all thinking, why the hell? I mean, I got to be an idiot and not sell for this price um, while I can. So that's what we saw. We're not going to have that in the future. And so I think a lot of the transactions will ultimately be life events. It'll be like, hey, I got a divorce, I got to split the pie, or I'm sick, I got a year left, I'm going to sell that, or I'm otherwise ready to retire, and I don't have another seven or eight years to wait around to see what happens, so I'm going to pull the trigger and get the best price I can. I think we'll be at that point soon. I just don't know how soon. I don't know if that's three months away or a year away. I can't imagine... Um, I can't imagine these things really spiking back up like they were before. And if they do, Joe, to me, that means we've got a whole hell of a lot worse problems going on in the economy, and we're going to start to see high rates of inflation. Yeah, I think the way I, – I agree it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see how that plays out, and that will be with the first deal that takes place over this. Probably will set – after this, will set the tone. Um, so COVID-19, because of how it happened, I, I like I just keep going back and forth. Was this a better way for us to go into a recession and possibly worse? Or would it have been better for the market continue to play out its craziness and then just have another 2008, 2009? Um, I don't know which would have been better. Before, I thought this was the better route. But as this gets crazier, I don't know. I mean, look, the the way I look at it is if we try to separate, and it becomes more and more difficult to do this, but if we try to separate the equity markets or the stock market from the actual real economy, the stuff that you and I do every day, we get up and go to work and and do stuff. We try to separate those two. We know that financial assets were essentially priced for perfection. So they were so high, uh, the market was kind of looking out to the future saying, it's all clear sailing from here, there won't be any problems. So COVID comes in and and really kind of pricks that bubble. And again, I think uncertainty is priced into the market, but I don't think anyone really knows what that economic damage is. And if it's much worse, I think that's when the market really tanks. Now, as far as the real economy goes, I mean, we've never seen, I mean, we've seen in our lifetime, Joe, I mean, we, you know, we we, we saw what happened in, in the early 2000s, right? I mean, that was more of a stock market taking a dump. Um, we saw what happened in 2008 that was started in the banking and liquidity type sectors. Um, and, and that caused the economy to, <clears throat> it wasn't an overnight affair, right? I mean, that took a year or so to really rev down. We saw literally 12 months of just horrible jobless as that thing just really ground down. Now, you know, we got the 
a market peak in February. I think it was February 19th and we're off 30 some odd percent two weeks later. And you know, half the freaking country can't go to work. So we've never seen this before. And so I think that's why the markets aren't really, the markets don't know what to do because no one's ever seen it before. We don't have anything to look back on. Even, even the great depression, it took multiple, you know, multiple years for things to grind to a halt. And again, like I said earlier on in the call, I mean, we've got such a tremendous amount of debt. I mean, I'm, I, what I, what I do right now is I, I'm up at the crack of dawn and before I do any of my normal day to day work, I'm shorting tech firms and high yield debt because I, I really think that's gonna, that's gonna blow up. And I'm not, you know, listen, I'm not betting against the United States. I'm not betting against Europe necessarily. I'm, I'm betting against the fact that we've had a tremendous amount of government intervention in these markets for decades and it's caused companies to do a lot of ridiculous things which is taking out trillions of dollars in loans in order to buy back their own stock for example so um and just lever up and now these guys i mean shit you turn on the news and it's like nike can't pay their rent cheesecake factories closing down left and right it's just the financial wreckage just increases by the day i just don't know if it's possible for anyone to pull out of this as quickly as I think everyone's hoping. In my mind, I don't think there's a V recovery to this. And I know no one wants to hear that, but I just can't, I mean, I, I don't know. But no one's been able to convince me that we're gonna be able to turn this around as quickly as we think we will. Now the good news is we're in the pest control industry. And um, I think there's a, obviously a lot of benefits to being in pest control, right? It's capital light, you don't need a ton of factories with equipment that's collecting dust right now. Um, as long as your guys are healthy and your client base can resume business, um, pest controls can bounce back relatively quickly. Select insurance is just the company that you want to be with. There's a relationship and a trust and a level of service that is bar none. But this is what you need. You need these type of people. They're licensed pest management professionals in various states. And then they just know, they know what we're talking about. There's a relationship and a trust and a level of service that is bar none. You know, like... You can sleep better at night. You Let's can, leave it at that. You're right. Enough said. Well said. Coming up next time on Colony Confidential... Weekends don't exist, so that's that's one opportunity. I don't see any of the bigger players being able to maneuver that quickly. I mean, certainly Terminax and Orkin and whatnot aren't going to be able to do that. So I think that's an opportunity to take some market share from some of the bigger players. Obviously, I've seen Renekill and Anti-CMX and some of these guys doing a lot of this disinfectant stuff. Um, I don't... What I hear from the distributors we talk to, that stuff's very difficult to get now. It's all backordered, right? Everyone like doubled down on it and bought, you know, that nicest stuff or Shockwave or whatever the heck it is. Um, I also, you know, I talked to two insurance guys. You know, most of this stuff's not covered by insurance now. I think some of the people that I talk to, some of the owners, are like, well, I don't give a shit about that. I mean, we're in a pandemic. Who's going to sue us? And that may or may not be true. But I, I think it's one of those things, unless you're in a city like New York, unless you're in a major urban area, you're a, you have commercial expertise and you have commercial um, clients, it doesn't make a lot of sense for your run-of-the-mill pest control company.